heading into a cycle that has been very unkind to the party in power. Hello and welcome to the Thematic Outlook podcast series, part of Cowan Insights Podcast. My name is Bill Bird, Cowan Head of Thematic Content, and today we have a special guest from Cowan Washington Research Group, Chris Kruger. Today's topic is the midterm elections. The policy implications of the midterms are massive, including how we address the debt ceiling, tax policy, and whether or not Build Back Better investment happens. Our guest, Chris Kruger, covers macro, trade, fiscal, and tax policy for Cowan Washington Research Group. His knowledge of the contours of the political landscape is better than anyone I know. Today, we'll dive right into the midterm elections, potential outcomes, and what those outcomes could mean for policy. Chris, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. Chris, appreciating that a lot of factors go into how people vote, and a lot can change between now and November 8th, what's your base case for control of Congress? Our base case here is divided government with, at a minimum, the the House flipping control. The Senate's a little more fluid, uh, but it's very hard to see how, at a minimum, uh, you don't have at least the House flipping control from the Democrats uh, to the Republicans. And Chris, tell us the policy priorities and and implications under this scenario and and how you think things will play out. Is it more of the same or is it something different? Sure. And and maybe just taking a step back, how we get to that outcome. I mean, we're heading into a cycle that has been very unkind to the party in power. Uh, Since World War II, the president's party in that first midterm loses on average approximately 40 seats, 4-0. Uh, The Republicans only need to net four seats in these November elections, uh, which are in 14 weeks, a little less than 100 days. And sort of that historic cyclical model appears to be holding like it did most recently with with Bill Clinton in 1994, Barack Obama in 2010, and and most recently Donald Trump in, in 2018 that saw the president's party lose their majorities in the House. We're very much uh, following a, a similar trajectory uh, given President Biden's approval ratings or, or lack thereof. Uh, we should have some more granularity at the end of August when the primaries are are basically done and the redistricting maps are, are finished. Uh, we suspect if you told Speaker Pelosi right now that the Democrats would have a 10-seat loss, she would probably lock that in if if she could. Uh, the ceiling, though, is probably around 40 seats. We would note that 40 pickups would give the Republicans their biggest majority since 1929. The Republicans need 59 for their all-time record. Of course, that is possible, although the amount of quote-unquote swing seats is, is greatly diminished, and Republicans are already starting uh, with a pretty high uh, watermark they only need to net for. President Biden very much shaping the, the political ecosystem here. Uh, just like 2018, the president's low approval is is coloring a lot of these races. We would note that that President Biden is in worse uh, polling position than President Trump was at this time in in his presidency. So, you know, the House sort of just a question of of margin in in our estimation. Uh, the Senate a much more interesting story. Obviously, it's the tightest margin you can have, being a 50-50 Senate. Republicans only need to net one. You know, the the Democrats uh, could actually hold on here, if not expand their majority. 
Uh, you've got a couple of factors that are unique to the Senate. Uh, you have quality of incumbents here. A lot of these Senate Democrats have have created their own brands. They've largely decoupled from Biden. Uh, the map is favorable for Democrats, although geography can't stop a wave. But you do have some multiple pickup opportunities given Republican retirements. And probably the bigger story here is is one that has plagued Senate Republicans uh, in both 2010 and, and 2012, and that is um, poor candidates. So the Senate, you know, much more fluid. You've got Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and New Hampshire, sort of the, the core four on Democratic uh, defense. Uh, September is sort of the last of the primaries with New Hampshire. But in you know early August, we should be getting a, a better idea on some of these on some of these primaries. So that's that's you know the Senate much more fluid, and right now looks like the Senate could could hold Democratic in terms of policy priorities. You know uh, again, if it's just a question of how divided the government is, right? We're 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 going from basically two and a half years of unprecedented fiscal impulse from Washington. Uh, we're, we're likely reverting to the cyclical mean of, of divided government and fiscal drag. You know, absent a political black swan landing in the next 14 weeks, that the House is very likely uh, to flip. So, Bill, to, to your uh, initial point, you know, gridlock is is likely back along with rigorous oversight and and fiscal drag. The positive news, though, uh, for markets, no no new taxes. Uh, this scenario is likely a replay of, of 2011, along with a debt ceiling fight in the late summer, uh, early autumn. Further tariff relief on China would seem very unlikely. Uh, relations with China could, could well sink further, given congressional Republican you know, support for Taiwan, outbound investment restrictions, a select committee on the origins of, of COVID-19. Uh, China and big tech oversight remain two of the the most bipartisan issues in Washington. Would would note that there's likely to be greater defense spending under under any scenario. Let me let me pause there though. That's super helpful, Chris. Let's talk about the other two scenarios: Republican control or seemingly less likely Democratic control. What are the plausible policy paths under each of those respective outcomes? Sure. Well, so the, the first one's a lot easier to answer, right? This is just a, a question really of scale, right? It's a fully divided government with both the Senate and the House flipping. You basically take everything that we mentioned in scenario one and sort of double it for, for scenario two if you have uh, a Republican House and a Republican Senate. You know, other than legislative scale, the big change is going to be that the Senate uh, Republican majority uh, is going to be um, uh, pretty limited in confirming new federal judges, regulators, cabinet officials, uh, right? Like the the Senate, um, you know, has has a, a full power over confirming judges and and uh, agency heads. So that that's one area that you would definitely see. Uh, but you'd probably have an even bigger debt ceiling fight. Um, and you'd, you'd probably have uh, even more increased uh, defense spend. And then the, uh, you know, scenario three, you know, it's really hard to conceive of a scenario where House Republicans don't uh, net at least 10 seats, but really, you know, nothing is impossible. 
um, if we're in a situation where the House has held Democratic, you know, the, the aftershocks of the political earthquake uh, are would have to extend to the Senate, at least one would presume, which would mean that the Democrats would probably have have sort of surfed this red wave or lack thereof and probably picked up a couple Senate seats in, in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. If right, because if you're in a if you're in a scenario where the House is held, that means Democrats have really overperformed. So, you know, are, are we I don't know what we're going to call it at that point, but it's you know, it's some version of build back better, although uh, one would hope they would rebrand it somehow. But that means huge spend on on climate. Right. It's all the stuff uh, that that Joe Manchin essentially, you know, threw throughout. So you're you're talking, you know, fiscal policy likely being back to an 11. Uh, but that also means that tax increases to, to offset some of that fiscal spend are are back in play. Chris, let's talk about the unexpected. What are some things that could surprise people in this election cycle? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a little bit like 1992, uh, the the Clinton uh, Bush Perot cycle, right? It, it's the economy, stupid. So the the inflation reports, the consumer confidence reports, et cetera, you know, one way or the other, those are are right now largely determinative. For the election, at least that's what most Republicans are hoping for. What most Republicans want this election to be about, quite simply, is a referendum on Joe Biden. Biden's numbers, you know, continue to be historically low. Anything that really deviates from that is is largely a negative for Republicans, um, right? And there's a a Democratic push. To shift this election from a referendum on Joe Biden and the economy and inflation uh, to a choice election, and this would be a choice between, you know, Joe Biden and basically Donald Trump, because in the next couple months before the midterms, it sure seems possible, if not likely, that Donald Trump is going to announce his re-election bid for 2024, which has a a real risk of. Uh, for Republicans of making this election not about Joe Biden, but about making this about Donald Trump and a lot of his personally selected candidates in these Senate races who, while are popular with the Republican base, candidly are, are not the strongest candidates to take on Democratic incumbents in the general election. So those are, you know, along with, you know, inflation in the economy, uh, the, the big surprise uh, might well be uh, uh, former President Trump announcing his his reelection plans, you know, in the coming weeks. And Chris, what are the most important things you're watching as we look ahead beyond some of what you've talked about, approval ratings, the economy, the Trump potential run for president? What are the things that you're watching most closely to really divine the, the midterm election outcome? What states in the home stretch are competitive? And what I mean by that is, where are the political parties sending dollars? Um, and if you are uh, hopeful for a Republican red wave, you would want to see Colorado and Washington state, those Senate races really coming online. Um, if Democrats are having to spend money in a, a deeply blue state like Washington state, um, 
that's probably a, a pretty bearish indicator for Democratic chances at the majority. Now, on the flip of that, if the red wave is perhaps receding, is a state like Ohio or even Missouri coming into play in the Senate race? So, you know, in the final, you know, couple months, what states are coming online? And from that, you can, you know, it's more art than science, but get a sense at least the, the, the scale of the Republican wave. You know, other than that, obviously, the inflation reports, consumer confidence, Biden approval, um, and or, you know, the, the, the big X factor, uh, you know, sort of remains Donald Trump in the, in the political zeitgeist uh, that, that we are. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time with us today. Uh, we really appreciated your insights on, on the upcoming election. And we really look forward to some of your upcoming events and expert calls on the midterms. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to us today. Be well and take care.